Welcome back to the NatMatSci podcast brought to you by the National Mathematics and Science College. This is the podcast to let you find out more about NatMatSci by hearing from the whole community talking about their experiences, all unscripted and unplugged, so you can hear what life is really like at the college. Today I'm speaking to Katie Martin. She's the new EAL teacher. EAL stands for English as an Additional Language, which means she's perfectly placed to help students who don't speak English as a first language. Now, I love this episode because I get to find out where in the world Katie has travelled to, not as a tourist, but for her work, getting to know people in different cultures and environments, and then how that's going to help the students at NatMatSci, given the experience that Katie brings. So let's not waste any more time, but instead come with me as we step into this conversation with the new EAL teacher, it's Katie Martin. Katie, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm pleased to be here. Well, it's, it's great to have you here and it's great to talk to you, um, especially because I believe that you're coming to us from Poland at the moment. Is that right? Yes, I'm currently in a half-packed flat or half-unpacked flat, if you like, in um, Warsaw, in the capital city. And last few days here, making my way back to the UK. Fantastic. So it sounds like you're from the UK and you're going to be the new EAL teacher. So that's English as an additional language. But I wonder, first of all, if you could just talk to us a little bit about where you grew up, what your own experience of school life was like and then how you found yourself working as an EAL teacher? Yes, good questions. It's been quite a journey. I am indeed British. Um, I'm Particularly, I'm English. I'm from the northeast, from North Yorkshire. But before I was 10, I'd spent six years of my life living in Cyprus because of my dad's job. So I'm very much used to being, um, to moving around to being with different people. And actually, I'm about to come home to the UK and start work at NatMatSci. This will be the first time I have worked full-time in the UK for over 20 years. Gosh, wow. So I think wow. I'll feel a little bit like the students, a little bit of um, an outsider, perhaps. Yeah, no, interesting, interesting. And tell me a little bit then about how you feel, given the fact that you've spent a lot of time overseas yourself and you've, you've in your own words you're used to moving around mm. therefore I imagine that you've interacted with a lot of different cultures uh, tell me how you, you feel that's going to help you when you're in this new role at the college well that's very much one of the things that drew me towards the college the fact that it's so international and it's such a multinational multicultural group of students and I think for EAL that is the the best atmosphere and it's certainly where um the environments I have most enjoyed teaching in. Okay, okay. So here I am jumping ahead of myself already. Let's just jump back then to to how you actually got into EAL in the first place. I mean, what, what was it that, that steered you in that direction? It was a long time coming. Like many people, I love studying. I think all teachers love learning. But I never really knew what I wanted to do. And I spent my 20s working in order to earn money to travel. So by the time I was 30, I had had um, a working holiday visa, so a whole year in Australia, and then came back home and uh, earned some more money, and then did the same thing in New Zealand. So I've worked in many different environments. So for doctors, for hospitals, for accountants, for a radio station in Sydney. Oh, 
and I, I loved it, but I realized it wasn't quite satisfying enough. I needed something um, a little bit more meaningful. And along the way, people had encouraged me to be a teacher. And it's something I'd always rejected because I don't like being the center of attention. I don't mm. like particularly like people looking at me. Mm. I prefer looking at other people. I love listening to other people. Mm. So I'd always rejected this idea of standing up in front of the whiteboard, um, interactive, blackboard, whatever, and mm -hmm. talking to a group of students. But it got to the stage where I thought, I have to be brave. It's time to try something new. And I did a CELTA course, which is the introduction um, certificate to teaching English to non-English speakers. Mm. And I still, to this point, this is a long time ago now, I still remember the terror of, because they start you teaching on the course immediately. Oh, okay. Because you learn teaching by teaching. Mm. And I still remember the terror. And at the same time, I knew, I knew in the first week, I found my vocation. I found mm. my career. And I started, I started working. My first job was in Indonesia. And I think any newly qualified teacher will tell you the first year of teaching is when you learn the most. And I learned a lot. And stronger and stronger, I had this feeling, this is me. And finally, I knew what I wanted to study. And this is, I went to university as a mature student. Mm. And I studied German and linguistics for my bachelor's. Did some more teaching in other countries. And then did my master's in applied linguistics, uh, specifically TESOL, which is another name for EAL, which is teaching English to speakers of other languages. Oh, so I okay. love matching the theory, and there's a lot of theory, a lot of research ongoing all the time mm. into learning language and teaching English in particular with the practice. Mm. I'm really happy being in the classroom. I really enjoy being in the classroom. Mm. So it's interesting with that, career history before stepping into teaching because you know it strikes me that 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 it's mixing with different people from different countries different cultures which is the real draw into all of this and then what you've done is to marry up the environment in which you enjoy working with the thing that you enjoy doing is that right is that a fair thing to say yeah that's spot on i think that is the bonus actually of having an unconventional route into mm. teaching, I think. Mm. You get to know yourself more. You get mm. to know the world more. Mm. And that works really well in the classroom. And what I discovered is that people aren't staring at you. Your students aren't staring at you as an individual in the classroom. They mm. see you as a teacher, as the role, as somebody there to help you. Mm. And as it turns out, my preference to listen to other people rather than talk myself makes for a really good EAL teacher. Mm -hmm. So my approach is um, EAL is not actually a subject. It's not a school subject. It's a skill. It's a communication skill. It's a life skill. So it works really best in the classroom when the students are practicing this skill. You get mm. better at speaking English by speaking English. And mm. the same for listening, reading, and writing. And underneath it all are the social skills, the communication skills. 
that make life work. So I see EAL beyond the classroom as to actually help people live and work and navigate the English-speaking world, which is mm. huge. The mm. English-speaking world has become enormous. And do you find that people who speak a different language other than English as their first language, when they're trying to learn English as an additional language, that they are influenced by the abundance of, I was going to say British television, what well, mainly American TV programs, I, I, I guess, things like Friends and, and other things that, that young people might watch on TV? For sure, for sure. There is so much English in the world. There's a theory that talks about ownership of English. There used to be this idea that a native speaker owns English. And the, the term now, native speaker, is, is troublesome. Mm. Because if you take um, the traditional English-speaking countries, so the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South mm. Africa, if you count up the populations, I think there's probably about 350, maybe 400 million of us. Mm. The most conservative estimate currently is that there are 1 billion speakers and users of English in the world. English Gosh. as a second language or additional mm. language. Mm. And actually, it's probably more accurate that half the world is using English. Mm. So 3.5, 4 billion people. Mm. So access to English gives you access to the world, to education, to um, business, to tourism, uh, and to entertainment. And mm. I actually find when I'm teaching younger people, they get their English through entertainment, through computer games, through social mm. media, through um, television, of course, films. They're already coming with knowledge and use of English. They're really extremely rare nowadays to find a true beginner of English. It seems that everybody has got access to English somewhere along the way. I was about to ask you that, what, what level your, your students are at when you first start to engage with them? You know, are, are any of them, well, I was going to ask if, if any of them don't speak any English at all, but it sounds like that's not the case. But you know, to, to what extent can they speak the language? It varies very much. It's one of the reasons I love um, EAL as a profession. I've been trained and I've had experience teaching um, children as young as five and adults as old as, well, they've got white hair, put it that way. <laughs> okay. And all levels, so beginner to advanced. Um, I love the variety. Mm. And I would also say that almost every EAL class is tailor-made because even if you're studying for something specific like IELTS the trick is to get to know the students get to know their level of English mm. and adapt what you're teaching in the classroom to their needs and their interests mm. it doesn't have to be boring whatsoever there's always something interesting that people are involved with that can be um, made into a lesson so it works for every level and I see part of my job as helping students navigate this world. So a lot of what I do is learning how to learn. That's actually a skill that needs to be taught and often isn't in many countries. And then autonomy is very important. So the students themselves get to decide what they want to focus on and how they want to progress. It's really exciting. It's my happy place, the classroom. Oh, it sounds like it for sure. You mentioned about learning how to learn. Tell me a bit more about that. 
Well, it's been really interesting. I've just spent four years in Poland and it's fascinating comparing this with the other countries that I've worked in. Would you like me to list them? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, of course, I... Um, I never teach British people. I never teach American people. And I much prefer to be living in um, the home countries of my students because then you get to see them longer rather than mm. just when they're on a language um, holiday mm. in the UK. Mm. So I have taught in Vienna, in Austria. Mm -hmm. um, I started off in Indonesia, uh, in Surabaya on the island of Java. And then Colombo in Sri Lanka, and Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Gosh, wow, some amazing different places there. It's been incredible. And countries, particularly like Sri Lanka, they have um, a natural mix in their own population of, um, so Buddhist Sri Lankans, you've got um, Muslim Sri Lankans and uh, Tamil Sri Lankans. And similarly with Malaysia, the local um, ethnic groups are Malays, Chinese Malaysians and uh, Tamil Malaysians, again, Indian Malaysians. Gosh. And what was incredible about the classrooms in Malaysia, um, it was a very popular place for foreigners to study. So we had a lot of students from the Middle East. So I've taught students from um, Yemen, from Libya, from Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. Many of my colleagues, my teaching colleagues were from Iran. And we also had uh, many students from the Far East, so from China, from Japan, from South Korea, um, from Thailand, from Vietnam, a really wonderful mix. You'd have a class of 20, um, probably about 16 different nationalities in there. Gosh, that's amazing, isn't it? Mm, I think so. I think it's a more natural view of how the world actually is. We live in multicultural, multilingual worlds. That's the, mm. the norm. Katie, tell me how this changes you as a person, because I'm thinking about an alternative path that you could have taken in life. You mentioned yourself, you're from North Yorkshire. It could have been, I imagine, quite easy to stay in North Yorkshire to learn how to do your, your, your work, whatever work that might be in North Yorkshire, to only ever work in North Yorkshire. And, and I imagine that there's probably a good number of people in North Yorkshire who, who, who don't often step outside of North Yorkshire either, uh, certainly not outside of the UK. Your travels around the world and your interaction with other people, you know, it's not like you're traveling around the world and just sort of observing the world at a surface level. You're, you're getting much deeper down into properly understanding these different cultures. How do you feel that changes you as a person? Do you know, that's a really perceptive point because I do prefer living and working in a country as to visiting as a tourist, you do get to see um, a different side. And it does take years to understand the history and to understand how it affects other people's way of living. Mm. I think how it's impacted me is it's, um, it gives you such a range of experience and it lets you see that there's more than one way to live life. Mm. It gives you a choice, I think. Uh, and it feels very open. And I've, um, I love going back to North Yorkshire. I have family and friends there, and they're extremely happy. My parents have always been supportive, and I actually think I get this from my parents. Mm. So they were post 
uh, they were war babies actually and they grew up in the 1950s and the 1960s and the world was suddenly very open mm. my dad um, was in the navy he joined as a 15 year old and on ships spent 15 years on ships and submarines and he traveled the world my mum would move around um, various bases um, they lived for three years in Zambia in the early 1970s. Wow. And then I was born and my dad took on a job that took us to Cyprus. So this probably comes from my parents, to be honest, and I've simply mm. carried on the tradition. Okay, let's take it back to students then who are learning English as an additional language. What are some of the things that students typically struggle with regarding English? You're making me smile. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I have worked a lot with um, STEM students, which is another one of the, um, the things that pointed me towards Nat Matsai. And they come to the classroom expecting to be given rules of English. Mm. And they get really, well, they have a range of reactions. They can get annoyed, they can get upset, they can get up, you know, frustrated to a certain extent, a level of fear, because there aren't really any rules of language. When we talk about grammar rules, we actually mean a rule of thumb, a guideline. Mm. And that is because language changes. It changes over time and it changes over place. It's a little bit chaotic. And that's because language is part of what, well, I I would argue as a linguist, language is what makes us human. And we humans are messy and complicated and we change over time and place. And language changes with us. And a lot of my job is helping um, students to cope with the chaos and to develop some frustration tolerance as well. But I usually, usually can help STEM students because language has patterns mm. and it's simply a case of noticing and noticing what the current patterns are and what they might be in a written version and a written academic version compared to a written social media version mm -hmm. and what might be um, the form of English that is used in their home area mm -hmm. versus in the UK versus um, the US versus internationally. There are patterns there, and I think once STEM students start to see that, they enjoy this puzzle, this problem solving. Mm. Language is made up of any language is made up of building blocks, and it's just working out how they are constructed together. Mm. So I usually, usually make my STEM students happy um, by having this approach, this problem solving approach to language, and I'm hoping that's what I'll be able to bring to my Natmatsai classroom as well. So how about when you get other countries, or, or, or even the UK, actually, for that matter, that challenges those, I was going to say rules, but I'm going to use your word and say, and say guidelines, by, by changing things. And, and, and I'm going to give you an example, which is that often in America, they might say, I'm going away for a couple days. They wouldn't say a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, in the UK, we would say a couple of days. But I'm noticing more and more, especially younger people, adopting the American style. Yes. Is that an incorrect thing or is that part of the evolution of language? You're making me smile again. On um, <laughs> the very first day of my linguistics degree, they told us, almost the very first thing they said, 
was linguistics is not prescriptive. We do mm. not tell people how to speak, how to write. We observe. It's mm. descriptive. Mm. And we talk a lot about language myths. Language is core to being human. It's, it's our very core. But we have a lot of myths about language. And one of them is that language doesn't change and that there is only one correct way to mm. use a language. And that is just not reality. What you've noticed with this couple of days, couple days, is there's a difference there between location. Mm -hmm. But because American English is so dominant, we're noticing British people picking this up as well. Mm. And we're in the middle of a period of change where this is still unacceptable, utterly unacceptable in written English. And it's possibly, I would argue, unacceptable in written American English as well. Okay. In some respects, American English in writing is stricter than British mm. English. They've stuck Ooh. more closely to the English they were using um, 200, 250 years ago. Gosh. Mm. So it's probably, writing is, is often standardized, and that's the slowest to change. Mm. What you'll find is that there's some people who are really happy with hearing and speaking a couple days, and there are some people who it makes them cringe. Mm. We all have so many opinions about language and we all very much judge each other on language. Mm. Language mm. is identity, essentially. So mm. I'm going to give you a linguist answer and say there's no wrong, there's no right. It's simply Amazing. observing. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I love that. I love that. And of course, sometimes you can gauge how old somebody might be by their resistance to embracing any kind of change like that. Mm. For sure, but it has always existed. I mean, think of such a school world, uh, word, sorry, timetable. This existed originally as two separate words. And it was mm. when um, the Victorian era, when the trains came about. And you didn't just want to turn up and see if a train was going to come. You needed a table of train times. Mm. And originally, two completely separate words, timetable. But got used so often, they ended up being hyphenated and is now one word. It would be incorrect. Standard written English mm. timetable must be one complete word. Mm. And a much more recent example is email. Do you huh, remember yeah. a few decades ago, we were writing E colon mail or E dash mail? Mm. Yeah. And yeah. now it's become one word very, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. And that didn't take long at all. That no. really didn't. No, mm. it didn't. Katie, I'm loving talking to you. I could sit here and talk to you all day about this. I mean, literally, because I, I think this is a fas fascinating subject, but I'm keeping an eye on time. We do need to bring this to a close. Tell me one thing you're looking forward to about joining the college then when you start there in September, because just for the sake of people listening, we're recording this just as the summer vacation time is about to start. I am looking forward to a community of students and teachers. I love learning. I love teaching. And it's really exciting when so many new things are happening with new students, new things to learn. We never, ever stop learning. Mm. We, we will never have complete knowledge of the world. And I think that's wonderful. But I'm looking forward to having a wonderful rest over summer and then being ready to start again in a new community. Well, I love that you love to learn and, and, and I love that you've got that hunger to learn as well. I'm sure you'll be a great asset at the college. Uh, but Katie, for now, thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really good talking to you. It really has.
Thank you, Simon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for that. So that was Katie Martin, new EAL teacher at the college, coming to us from Poland on her way to Coventry. Katie, a big thank you to you. It was great talking to you for this recording. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.